0: Hey, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the Real Estate Minute Show. Today, we're talking about leasebacks after sale. So if you're the buyer or the seller, let's say you're in a situation where the seller decides that they want to lease back the house and you agree to it as the buyer for a certain period of days or weeks, whatever the case may be, Uh, you know, it's different today than it used to be in the past, back in, you know, many in a universe long time ago. Uh, closing dates would regularly say closing date plus two, closing date plus three. That means the seller can stay in the house for an extra two, three days, and there's no written agreement to that effect except in the purchase agreement, and uh, nobody really understands the rights or responsibilities of anybody. It's just uh, they're kind of hanging around for a few days to move out and they leave. Okay? Today, these days, things are a little bit more tidy. Um, and I always say to try to avoid leasebacks if you can. Uh, however, if you do need to agree to a leaseback, and the buyer and seller do, uh there are a couple documents in california specifically that i always recommend you absolutely have done and if you uh work with various brokerage firms around here like my firm at keller williams it's a requirement one is if you're staying under 30 days there's actually a seller in possession form it's a one-page document defines the responsibilities of the buyer and seller that are now landlord tenant after close. If you're saying over 30 days, it's a full on lease document, uh, which is a lot more pages, a little more disclosures, but very relevant. Now, why, why I say this is an absolute must is it because it defines who's doing what, because when you close escrow that next day, you're the buyer, you're no longer the buyer. Now you're a landlord, and that seller is no longer a seller, they're actually your tenant. Which brings me to the major risk of allowing leasebacks and agreeing to leasebacks. That now you are, if you're buying the house, you now have, your landlord and now you have a tenant in your house, which is now the seller. They have legal rights now. What if they decide a month later after they're in for a month or so, they decide that they're not leaving? Okay, you can't just kick their, kick their stuff out on the street. Um, that's illegal. You have to actually hire a lawyer, go to court, sue them for unlawful detainer, it's called, it's an action, and uh, have them removed legally. That could take 90 to 120 days and could cost you five to $20,000 in legal fees. All of a sudden, and now you lost the right to to have your house. And because you haven't been there for three to four months now, what are you doing about the place you're coming from? Are you renting? Are you closing on your house down the road and and now you can't close because you have nowhere to move in? Are you staying in a hotel now, Airbnb? There's a lot of things to consider in that regard. Plus, a little added kicker is that what's your lender going to say about that? A lot of times your lender will require you to move into the house in a certain period of time or at least count it as your primary residence. But if you're now a tenant or a landlord, excuse me, for three, four months, if you, will your lender have a problem with that if they find out about it? So there's certain risks to do that, which is why I say try to avoid it. But if you can't avoid it, at a must, you must have those lease back documents. Another thing to consider, which I hear a lot about now, too, is buyers want to put some of their personal property into the home they're buying before close because they need to move it out real quick. Or a seller wants to store some stuff, like in the garage, you know, for instance, boxes or something, that they couldn't take prior to close. Always avoid that at all costs, because if something gets damaged, for instance, let's say you as a buyer allowed your seller to store a bunch of stuff in the garage for a week after close and it all breaks, gets leaked, a roof leaks, something happens and it all gets damaged. Uh, a lot of times your insurance as the buyer of that home, now that it closed, won't cover their stuff because it's not your stuff. Uh, And the seller's insurance, because they don't own the home anymore, may not cover that stuff also. So now you have a a major conflict over a bunch of stuff that they may be valuing at hundreds of thousands, and you're valuing it as a favor that you allowed them to do. So those are a couple of things that come up. We don't have a lot of time to talk about all the minutiae. So if you have any questions, give me a call. i will be happy to talk to you more about it. But I just wanted you to be aware of that and how to kind of mitigate those risks, at least with a document uh, prior to close for leasebacks. Okay? Take care. Have a good week. I'll see you next week. And then we'll see you in a show.